is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Good evening. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show. On my first five tonight, I want to talk about where we are in the health care bill and the repeal uh, effort that did not go through in Washington. And my two cents is we are in a great position. People who love liberty, who did not like Obamacare for the deepest reasons of objecting to it because it's just inconsistent with American-style free markets and American liberty, are in a position to push their their view in Washington. I want to back up and tell you about a conversation I had just um, the end of last week. This is with someone I've known for years. Uh, She lives back east in New York. She uh, has voted Republican her whole life. She works full time. She works really hard. She's got a husband in the house and and their daughter's grown. But, you know, they've they've busy life for years and years. And I was talking with her about the failure of the uh, rhino care, what I was calling last week rhino care, or the GOP American Health Care Act failed to go through in the House. They had to pull it before it got, uh, got voted down. And her comment was, she reminded me about her husband having had a um, required to get some medication recently that was very expensive. She was kind of surprised. It was $200 was they paid for it. She was saying, that's outrageous. It was so expensive. I was like, yeah, sometimes that happens. So what she said, this is a lifelong Republican. You know, I'm just infuriated with the price of medications. Plus, why is it one hospital charges you X for some procedure and some other hospital charges you X time, you know, X times two. Why is that? And why isn't why is medication so expensive? And why do doctors charge different rates for different things? And she said, you know, some my husband and I were talking about it, and maybe it is time. Just let the government take control of it. Let them set prices. I'm sick and tired of expensive medications. I don't like that one hospital charges less or more than somebody else for the same procedure. Why not let the government take control? I said two things. Number one, you guys bought a new house ten years ago. You shopped in numerous neighborhoods. You compared prices and taxes and, and you know, what your insurance would cost in, in various areas. You bought a new car last year. You shopped at numerous car dealers. You purchase other kinds of insurance. You even go to different kinds of stores. You go to gourmet grocery stores when you're feeling fancy. And you shop in kind of brand X big stores, grocery stores, most of the time. You engage in free market, you know, attempts to purchase things, and you calibrate on your own. Why is it different with healthcare? And she said, because, I said, you don't want the government mandating that, mandating car prices and house prices. She said, no, but it's different. Healthcare is a necessity. I'm like, I know, but so is food. So is housing. And yet, but, but and, you know, to end the story with, with this conversation with, with my friend, I said, you know what you're really advocating? You're getting around the Democrats' position of just single payer, which is essentially socialized medicine. And she said, I know, so what? And the reason I'm recounting this entire conversation to you is this, my happy listeners. This is exactly the kind of thing Democrats lie awake at night hoping will happen that more and more Americans will buy into this dependency mentality, this sense of helplessness, this sense of I don't want to have to figure it out, this agreeing with the government is too complicated, too hard. Please just control it all, regulate it all. Let me have my health care I need. Democrats, back when Obamacare passed in 2010, when it was signed into law, 
could have just regulated the people. Who, uh, they could have passed a law to help those who are chronically uninsurable, the poor. They could have they had, could have tinkered around to help the people not functioning well in free market health care. But they didn't. They took over the entire health care system. And they wanted to have an American population who began to think of health care comes from the government. Health care is controlled by the government. I don't have to do this anymore. I can sit back and be helpless. It's like the Russian grandmother story. I've told you this Russian grandmother I met uh, who had lived in communism her whole life. Her view when she came to America, she came to visit her daughter, my friend, living in the Washington, D.C. area, and said, when the first time she saw an American grocery store, she said, your government gives you better food than our government gives us. And my friend you know, said to her mother, Mom, the government doesn't give us this food. This comes from farmers in the area. They grow food. They sell it to middlemen who process it and package it. The government has nothing to do with this. But her mother could not shake that perception because she lived in communist Russia for all of her cognizant adult life that food comes from government as does housing, as do jobs, as does everything else. And this, my friends, is why the health care bill is a liberty issue. It is, and it, it, if we continue to think of government as the source of health care, the regulator of health care, the provider of it, that we are going to end up with a huge step away from American-style liberty, from the self-reliant, can-do, positive, upbeat American spirit, the free market spirit that made our economy the best on earth and made our healthcare system the best on earth. And so as we go forward now with having, thankfully, the rhino care bill fail, I want to talk with you about things we can do to reignite the notion of free market pressures and, and forces as shaping our health care industry. So when we come back after the break, I'm going to tell you an amazing thing Louis Gohmert let us all know. I'm going to tell you a couple of tweets that President Trump put out to make sure you understand we have a long way to go and bring him along. I want to encourage liberty lovers among us, stand up and keep fighting to end Obamacare. This is Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk. Don't go away. On August 2nd, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? 
in schools, on cable television, in newspapers. It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Before the break, my first five tonight, I was just giving the kind of, uh, you know, patriotic reminder that beside all of the complexity of Obamacare and all the regulations and the premiums that went skyrocketing and all the problems, the core problem with Obamacare was the Democrats trying to to convince Americans to embrace the idea that health care should come from the government. That, and that's, this is the, the evil of growing expansionist federal government is that, the, that people begin as a creeping sense of, I just have to rely on the government. I can't probably handle anything without the government. And so what you saw in 2010 when the Tea Party got started, when people rose up against uh, Obamacare and, and the growing federal government, and gave the Republicans back the control of the House. 2014, same thing. Tea Party is still on fire, got control of the Senate. And now we have the presidency. And then we had the first opportunity with a Republican House, Republican Senate, and President Trump in the White House 
to repeal Obamacare. And there are actually some great articles. You'll see them if you go to the website, americacanwetalk.org. They're also on our Facebook page. A great article just out of the Washington Examiner talking about the GOP caving on Obamacare repeal is the biggest broken promise in political history. You know, maybe that's a little bit of a um, hyperbolic title, but the point, the concept of the idea that Republicans have run on repealing Obamacare since 2010 and gotten votes and made promises and speeches. And so where we are right now is what the Republicans came up with that we couldn't even bring to the floor of the House on Friday because Speaker Paul Ryan realized he didn't have the votes to pass it. What it was was kind of like a little nip and tuck you know, facelift. It was a little bit of lipstick, a little bit of tweaking here and there, but what it didn't do, and I want to be sure so you can share with your friends and and be able to share these ideas very, very clearly, what it did not do was get rid rid of the worst elements of Obamacare, which were the essential benefits, which is which is a basic statutory and regulatory thing that says insurance policies must contain the following benefits. And so this is why men have to buy, you know, um, have to buy, uh, you know, health insurance that carries things only women would want. The essential benefits was not removed from the uh, rhino care bill. Community pricing, or they call community rating, essentially mandating that insurance policies cannot range in price based on the actuarial data of the person who wants insurance. So my example, I would say it wasn't that they had to charge exactly the same price, but they were limited in the difference in price they could charge for a policy to a 20-year-old Olympian athlete in perfect condition and a 60-year-old diabetic overweight smoker. And they had to offer more or less insurance policy, very, very close in price, which is not free market, which is not insurance company doing business as insurer. And the third one was guaranteed issue, meaning they're essentially forcing insurers to cover people. These are all footsteps and were intended by the Democrats to be footsteps toward eventually failure of Obamacare and the embracing of the single payer idea, which is also known as socialized medicine. What happened when Republicans tweaked around the edges and didn't fix it was these regulations stayed in place and Heritage Foundation created a fabulous, completely comprehensible summary of what it was that drove up insurance policies. This is one of the reasons that conservatives got to be activists on the Obamacare Bill was because it hit their pocketbook at home, hit their wallet. So Obamacare regulations drove up premium costs by up to 68 percent. And they break it down. What various parts of regulations caused and caused the spiking of insurance premiums? If you don't take away the drivers of increased premium costs, then you haven't fixed anything. You just put lipstick on a pig. And so I, I, I commend and very grateful for Freedom Caucus, the uh, members of the U.S. House, who banded together not just for this bill, but many other ones. They basically try to stand for American style liberty. But where we are is we have some people in the House, the Freedom Caucus and some others who tried to push for a more expansive repeal. We have people in the House, Speaker Ryan and others who wrote this bill that failed, which was a non-repeal, a fake repeal. It's just a, it's a head fake, not a repeal. And then we have President Trump. And I raise this to say this about President Trump. I do not think that Paul Ryan, Reince Priebus— Senator John Corner, for that matter, um, or even Donald Trump, I don't think they recognized what the Americans who turned up by the millions to elect Donald Trump were trying to say. 
I do not think these people actually lead Trump out of it. I don't think Paul Ryan and Ryan's Priebus and a lot of the GOP establishment, it's like they don't know what time it is in America. They didn't get the message from the voters that we don't want a little tiny tweak. We want our freedom back. We want to have a free country like we used to have. Obamacare was just a sing, sim, single symbolic issue, but it was the, the feeling like, you know, we're not Canada, we're not Cuba, we're not England. We don't want government mandating uh, all sorts of things about our health care system. But I will say President Trump, in a speech he gave in 2015, so excuse me, 2016, while he was running, he did give a speech in which he essentially said, look, this may not be a conservative thing to say, but I think we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare, but we have to do it with something that makes sure everybody's covered. Which is to, by way of saying to you that President Trump had a lot of good ideas and good kind of a gut instinct about things that were bothering Americans. But he's not a policy wonk. He's not a health care policy person. He's not clear on what it was was upsetting the people so much about Obamacare. I think he thought it was a bad deal. Like he talked about the Iranian deal as a bad deal. So that was the worst problem with it, that it was poorly negotiated. The core problem with Obamacare to masses of conservative voters in America was the idea we don't want the government running our health care system. I don't think President Trump yet realizes that. Frankly, I don't think Paul Ryan realizes that. And so I think we have an opportunity right now to be bold as conservatives. What I would love to see happen would be a return to the bill that was passed by the Republicans in 2016. In fact, similar bills were passed several times, passed by the Republicans and in the House and the Senate and sent up to the White House, and at the time, the President Obama uh, vetoed it. He, it was a repeal of Obamacare. That bill should just be sent up there this week. Just do it. Because I think that that would be a great opportunity for President Trump to see this is really what America wanted, and let him explain why he won't do it. Now, I would say that's my, my first choice, is, uh, is that just pass the bill from last year. My second choice is that I think it's really important for— um, Republicans to more overtly explain to the American people not just what's so bad about Obamacare as a philosophical thing, but what it has done to premiums. How many people have lost jobs? How many people have lost insurance policies? How many people cannot afford their insurance? How many people have surgeries or health care needs they can barely? They, we've got to be better spokesmen. Another point, because I'm always saying in this show, you know, our, our theme music is You Are America, or We Are America. And I say to my listeners, You Are America. You are, you are the grassroots, you have the voice, you have the power, you have to have a few talking points ready and speak of what's right about America. Because part of what's right about America is to overthrow this entire idea, repeal the idea that government needs to run our health care system. But two other points you should be ready on. One is this. Congressman Louis Gohmert, uh, who I just saw, by the way, last week, he's just a, you know, a stalwart conservative he said in numerous interviews, in fact, when Mark Davis's show on this station, 660, and then on Fox and other places, he made the point that President Trump actually believed when Paul Ryan and others told him that a full repeal could not go through the United States Senate on a reconciliation bill. And I know we've gone into this, and it's a little bit weedy, but you've got to get this idea straight. In the Senate, any bill can be filibustered. And uh, that means unless you have 60 votes, unless we have 60 Republicans, we can't shut down a filibuster, except 
we have a reconciliation process. And if a bill meets the standard of reconciliation, uh, of reconciliation bill rules, you can pass that bill of 51 votes. And so what Trump was led to believe by Paul Ryan and others who just did not have the backbone to just repeal Obamacare was that the reconciliation bill process could not repeal all of Obamacare. And again, I want to tell you how that is a factually incorrect statement. We've had numerous genuine scholars, Heritage Foundation, Chip Roy has written about it. Our own great Senator Ted Cruz has written about it. The reconciliation process, was there's the Byrd rule, B-Y-R-D, which is the rule that came from the KKK Democrat, Senator Byrd from Virginia, West Virginia, wherever he was from. Anyway, he this rule was named after him, but the point of it is this. The rule allows the president of the Senate, which is who is the vice president of the United States. So our current vice president, Pence, could go to the United States Senate and make a ruling after the bill came through that regardless of what the parliamentarian ruled, Pence could say this bill meets reconciliation standards and therefore can be voted by 51 votes. The end. This bill could pass in the Senate versus reconciliation. When people say it can't, it's because they don't want to deal with the consequences of actual repeal. And, okay, I can see this happy guy in the booth is wanting me to stop talking. He's got to go to the commercial here. But I will say that when you come back from the break, we have uh, State Representative Matt Rinaldi with us to talk about sanctuary city bills in Texas. It's great stuff. Don't go away. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are tens of thousands of Heritage members and supporters in North Texas alone. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates on the fight for America from Heritage President Jim DeMint, plus exclusive invitations to conservative events right here in Dallas or wherever you are in America. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, Go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. Can you hear us now? Can you hear and welcome back to America Can We Talk. As I mentioned before our break, we have a great, great guest joining us tonight. And he's in studio, which is always fun, so we can see him while we're talking to him. This is Texas House District 115, Texas State Representative Matt Rinaldi. Hello, sir. Hi, how you doing? Great. And I've got to tell you, Matt Rinaldi, I'm, I'm going to guess most of our listeners, at least in Texas, uh, have heard of Matt Rinaldi, but he is a conservative leader in the Texas House. And really, in, uh, I would say within Texas, he's just outspoken, assertive uh, leader on, on conservative causes of all kinds. But the reason I asked him to come on the show tonight is that he had out a little video on Facebook uh, and probably other places that was talking about what is happening with the Texas bill relating to sanctuary cities. And I'll remind our listeners that just two weeks ago, I think it was March 12th, we had on Maria Espinoza, who is the founder of the Remembrance Project. And you can go back to our website, americacanbetalk.org. You can find the interview because she talked about how sanctuary cities were such an affront to the, the right idea of citizenship. But so I would love to have you tell our listeners, you would think Texas would be a place where a sanctuary city bill would just fly through. So what is happening in the great state of Texas legislature? Well, kind of the same thing that's happening to the Obamacare bill, right? There was an Obamacare repeal bill that got watered down so that it didn't actually repeal Obamacare. And in the the Texas House, there's indications um, by the committee considering the bill that we might get a sanctuary city bill that isn't actually a sanctuary city bill at all. Okay, well, I'm not, that's that's a bad answer to start with. Well, let me start with, though, what is it, just quickly for our listeners so it's very clear— what does a sanctuary city mean? People use that term so much. There's no real dictionary definition to it. At its most expansive definition, it's um, a sanctuary city is a city that adopts a formal or informal policy of not 
um, taking any actions to enforce federal immigration law. Uh, at its narrowest definition, it's a city that adopts a policy of ignoring f- immigration detainer requests from the federal government. So detainer requests meaning your city um, police or someone arrests someone, you realize the person's illegal, ICE, which is the federal immigration and custom, what's ICE stand for? Anyway, Immigration's custom, yeah. Yeah. Um, says, we'd like to get that guy, but we'd like you to hold him so we can come get him. And the city says, no, no, we're not going to cooperate. Is that essentially what happens? Yeah, ICE will do, um, ICE will check into people who are arrested uh, randomly as well. So they'll affirmatively go to cities, uh, check people who are arrested and say, hey, you know, this guy's subject to a hold. Please hold him while we come and, and pick him up. And what uh, sanctuary cities will do is ignore that. So what is the Texas legislature, the bill in the Texas legislature, trying to do to stop sanctuary cities from from ignoring federal immigration? So the Texas Senate in early February, very quickly after session started, passed SB4, um, which uh, has monetary penalties for uh, cities, municipalities, counties that adopt sanctuary city policies. Um, They uh, hold them liable for any crimes committed uh, by an individual who is subject to a detainer request and was released. Uh, It also provides criminal penalties for office holders who adopt sanctuary policies uh, and allows them to be actually removed from office. Okay, so that passed the Texas State Senate in February. Correct, with the most expansive definition of, of sanctuary policy. So where are we now in the Texas House? Because now the Texas House is taking up this bill the Senate passed, right? Right. And the Texas House didn't didn't actually uh, move on the bill for a whole month after receiving it from the Senate. And as you know, we're timed in uh, in in the Texas House. And we just heard it recently. Um, And after the testimony, the chair of the committee hearing the House bill indicated that, well, we might strip the bill down. So the only thing that's prohibited is disobeying an express detainer request from the federal government. So that means that the, all the Senate provisions prohibiting uh, policies that say we won't even ask ICE if someone who's arrested uh, is subject to a detainer order. We won't uh, – all those policies that the city say we won't affirmatively do anything, those would still be legal under what the, the committee chair was indicating might be coming out of the committee. Okay, so here in Texas, we do have listeners in Peoria, Illinois, in Columbus, Georgia. But you know what? This is probably happening somewhere near your home, too. But back to Texas. So this whole effort you're trying to do in the Texas House is to really protect against the idea that illegal aliens can be here and be protected from removal by um, by ICE because the city or county entity, whatever it is, just won't cooperate with ICE. So what is the reason in the Texas House, which is majority Republican, what is the reason that Republicans give for not for, for kind of stripping out all the punch in the bill? Well, we, we, we don't really have a reason. And, and there's a, a big issue with it. I think a majority of the Republican House members, we have a two thirds Republican majority in the House. And the majority of the Republicans are just not on the same page as leadership, as, as sometimes we see in D.C. as well. And uh, I think, you know, me and others are getting frustrated because we see a bill like a sanctuary city bill that, pe- that people are really uh, in favor of. I mean, we're talking about criminal aliens here. We're talking about individuals who are actually arrested for crimes. Um, and, you know, in Texas, these criminal aliens were charged with more than 566,000 criminal offenses. And keep in mind, of that amount, two thirds of them had been arrested before. So if the city had checked the immigration status of people in custody, those those people wouldn't have committed those crimes again. And we're talking about murder, sexual assault, 
Um, That's over. I'm sorry. Half a, over half a million crimes committed by illegal aliens in Texas between 2011 and 2017. Yeah. Okay, that that's actually a staggering number. You know, among the uh, Matt, I meant to say in the introduction too, Matt is also a lawyer and uh, speaks frequently on constitutional issues. He speaks, uh, he does uh, Fox News Radio, other other um, national outlets talking about constitutional issues. This seems like a kind of thing where it's an odd flip of what usually happens with conservatives because usually conservatives are all about local control and you know we don't this is get it out of our face where this is our thing. But in this case, you're kind of agreeing with the national. I mean. I'm I agree with you, but you're kind of saying in this one, actually, I want the national government, federal government to be in charge because immigration has to be a federal issue. Well, regardless of whether it completely has to, it is under under current law. And, and the state government is largely preempted from enacting uh, their own immigration laws. So we're left with the federal government law. And it's just good policy to enforce it. Um, you know, under federal law, our local officials don't have to. And that's basically what a sanctuary policy is. They're saying we're not going to enforce federal law. What the state government's saying is, listen, this affects more than just Austin, Texas, when they adopt a sanctuary policy. These people are getting out of jail, raping, murdering in other cities as well. This is a statewide safety issue. It's amazing. Um, you know, the other thing, I, we were talking about this, I guess, before the show started, just seeing in the studio. But I always think the left chooses, they, they are just much, much better at kind of messaging the, the times that we are. The term sanctuary city sounds like you're just like a sanctuary, like a church is a sanctuary, you know, or a, it has a feeling of tenderness and care. And people, I, I saw, I will, uh, I saw a poll in Rasmussen that actually just came out today that was saying that um, 35% of people, of voters polled, favor their community embracing a sanctuary city declaration. Well, a lot of those polls, depending on the wording of the poll, right? So you could, there are polls that show about 53% of the people, about 50, 50 for and against sanctuary cities when you say the word sanctuary city. But when you actually say what it is in the question, um, basically, you know, not enforcing federal, having a policy of not enforcing federal immigration law, uh, that shoots up to 80% of people against right. in some polls. So it depends on the wording of the that question. That was my next point. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, but the other thing that happens, though, is I think it's just astonishing. The sanctuary word, we get a little bit of sympathy. Well, these poor people, they just want to come to America for a better life. And how come they're being picked on? But it kind of goes to this existence of the rule of law. I mean, if you just say, well, well, we, we here in Austin, Texas, I think is the worst offender in the state of Texas over this. In the country. In the country, okay. Correct. In the great state of Texas, we have <laughs> the highest measure of lawlessness in Austin, our capital. Okay. You have some, I don't know if you can get to it quickly on your phone. Yeah. You had some statistic about that. Oh, yeah. No, you can actually look up on the ICE.gov website. Um, because of executive order, we actually um, now publish on the website publicly a list of all of the individual federal detainer requests um, that were ignored by city governments. And it's about 20 pages long so far um, this year. And 13 of those 20 pages are from Austin, Texas. And they actually list the crimes of the individuals who were released, uh, includes sexual assault, uh, several sexual assaults, burglary, um, resisting arrest of a police officer, drugs, um, and the like. Okay. That, just to be clear, this is a list of 20 nationwide. Nationwide. But 13 of the 20 are Austin, Texas. A okay. majority, of, a majority of the immigration detainer requests and criminals released in the country are from Austin, Texas. 
Okay, so we have about 45 seconds left here. Matt, you were saying that we're speaking with Matt Rinaldi, who is the Texas State Representative, District 115, uh, that this bill that is going to crack down on sanctuary cities appears to be stalling in the Texas House, or at least at least uh, honed down to almost to, to bare bones. Is that a fair versus a, a, a robust bill? Um, th- th- there's a danger that it could be gutted. Yeah, but we're going to we're going to fight hard on the floor. I think it will come to the floor and we're going to be fighting hard to make it a strong bill. I just want the people to know that when they hear sanctuary city came to the floor, all sanctuary city bills are not created equal and they need to know the details. Okay, if someone wanted to weigh in with uh, and just on the side of a strong sanctuary city bill, what should they do? Is there a website or what can they do? Just call their own state rep? Um, they can find their own state rep. Uh, they can just Google who represents me and you can find your your elected officials there. And weigh in and say yes, support. So the message is support the Senate bill. Support the Senate bill and in in a strong sanctuary cities. Okay, Matt Rinaldi, thank you so very much. This is Debbie George Ass, America Can We Talk? Don't go away. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in healthcare, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition in the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. I want to tell you why I do this radio show, America Can We Talk? In my life, I've been a full-time attorney, a wife, and a stay-at-home mom, a volunteer at our kids' schools and sports teams, and a political activist. I've been active in many political campaigns, organizations, and events, from the grassroots level to elected leadership roles, and from volunteer to paid consultant. One theme that runs through my life since my days of majoring in political science in college has been a continually growing admiration for the idea of America. And that gets me to why I do this show. America is the most important political idea in the world. 
Everything good and great about America is the result of these ideas of America, things like the rule of law, limited power in the federal government, separation of powers, protection of individual rights of each citizen. So on my show, we talk about the events and stories of the day, always tied back to preserving the ideas of America. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. So I have my Right View Roundtable here joining me at Jenny McGarry and Mari Sullivan. And I also, Matt Rinaldi, who joined us uh, in the um, just previous segment, is going to stay around for Cruise Through the News. And we're just going to run through some stories. This is until I have my show two hours a day, every day. <laughs> we have to cram a lot of stories in. But I just want to hit on some of these. Some of them are kind of more lighthearted and some of them are kind of serious. First of all, I was curious. So I saw what your reaction was to this. The American Health Care Act, which we all know thankfully went down, um, did not get a vote on this. But I noticed that the National Right to Life group, as well as the Susan B. Anthony group, love both of those groups. But both of them weighed in, encouraging lawmakers to, to pass the uh, American Health Care Act pretty much based on the fact that they were happy with the strong provisions gutting the um, Planned Parenthood and gutting taxpayer dollars going toward abortions. So... They were very single issue on this, and this kind of bothered me. And what any reaction to anybody? You think they should have done something different? Is that what they had to do? Well, the thing is, is that we all have our agendas, and sometimes we can't look past it, especially when that is the issue that that is pushing your organization and Planned Parenthood and the cost of abortion and things like that are things that we don't have to deal with on a daily basis but an organization like that that is their that is what they see that is what they're dealing with and to have some positive legislation that backs up their principles was probably pretty powerful to walk away from refresh my memory wasn't obamacare not going to cover abortions i thought that was part of the deal when it passed that's my recollection. I mean, we knew it wasn't going to last, but wasn't that the deal? Birth control was the biggest Well, issue. I know it was talked about in Obamacare. I actually don't know what came out of it, but I know that with the current bill, what Ryan Care, Rhino Care had, were very specific, bigger gutting provisions of Planned Parenthood, and they mm-hmm. felt like it was just a Yahoo day in Planned Parenthood. My two cents is, and maybe Matt wants to say something, but my two cents is, you can say, we are American right to life, or we are Susan B. Anthony, and we're strong, and we're grateful for these really firm provisions and not funding taxpayer but this is a terrible bill. It's like coming out for slavery because one family you like got exempted. It, it's it's just not conservative. Yeah, Any I reaction? mean, no, no. I listen. The, I, I agree with Jenny. The 
the right to life organizations are very laser focused on a certain issue. And when I look at them, I look to see if the bill's pro-life and, and, it, and it could be a pro-life bill, but not economically uh, helpful. OK, so I'm, I'm going to give this panel a, a bad grade of those answers. No, <laughs> you don't have to agree with me. Because, but I, I don't know. That really bothered me. It's like I, I want everyone on the right side unified. But whatever. OK. Another issue that I just think is really interesting. California, just when you think they might tune in to reality and might do something a little bit more like aware of the direction of the country that Trump won, the, the trend toward, you know, um, I don't know. I just seem like they find it another way. So they now have a California ban on any university's tax dollars being used for students or public workers to go on, on state-funded trips to, and they actually call them anti-LGBT states. They list four states in the United States of America, Kansas, Mississippi, North Carolina, and Tennessee, that they can't. You can't get in a school on a school-funded trip, and they, of course, find some sob story. This amazing team is finally going to go to the playoffs, and it's going to be in one of those states, and they can't go. Okay, are they like loopy or what? I just want you just. Well, clearly, <laughs> <laughs> we know that we know that already. Yeah, especially when you have like uh, this. This is the state that presented us with the bill where uh, religious schools were not going to get to have their own values practiced on their own campuses. That California has been run, Debbie, by the Dems for 50 years. So this is not surprising. This is the future of America if Hillary would become president. We would all be on our way to California craziness. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with California remaining to be crazy so more people move to Texas and our economy continues to grow. There you go. As long as they bring their voting habits with them. But yes. I, I agree with that. And, you know, my husband, who I, I believe is listening, he grew up in Coalinga, California, which is a small town. You know, it's in it's in the uh, San Joaquin Valley. It's all it's, he says it's like West Texas. It's farming, oil um, and, and cattle ranches. I mean, it's just it's Americana. And he said, when I grew up there, we voted for Ronald Reagan for governor, for crying out loud. So it's a sad thing what's happened to California. We actually go out there a lot because we have family out there. But it is really sad. The other California news they are actually, uh, this hasn't passed yet, but they're considering a bill banishing, uh, punishing builders from any state, California state projects, if they even bid on the Trump wall. Isn't that uh, hilarious? That is just <laughs> ridiculous. I think they've also backed away from that. I think I read something on Twitter saying that they've just backed away from that because it's so believable that they would absolutely do that. It, it is unbelievable. Okay, another story. This was a great one. Actually, anything else on California? Okay, we're going to go there in a few weeks. I love going there. Our daughter lives there. My husband's sister lives there. We it's see beautiful. Our it is, and we get to swim in the ocean, and then we come home to real America here in Texas. Okay, um, <laughs> next thing was, this was actually, I thought, just a great bit of news and kind of a lot of a lot of angles to go on it, but there was a woman who was involved in the leadership of the Women's March and as I said, I never want to even give credit. That's a women's march. It's, the, it's a radical leftist women's march. But she was actually a convicted Palestinian terrorist. She is a, um, wears a um, hijab. She has put tweets out about loving Sharia. Anyway, because she came to America, she thought she was kind of freed from her past. But the bottom line, she got so much national attention in leading the women's march. She is now going to be deported. Isn't that great news for America? Do you guys follow this story? <laughs> Immigration does work. <laughs> I mean, Laws. I, Enforce I'm, them. Also, it's so contradictory. The Women's March, standing for women and equality, 
to have a woman who embraces Sharia. Good point, Debbie. As one of your leaders. I, I mean, the hypocrisy in the American left knows no bounds. I thought you guys would love this story. Oh, yeah. That is, that is, no, no, that is, that is awesome. That is great news. I was, I was just taken aback when they had somebody who, with terrorist ties that would be leading the march to start out with. It and doesn't surprise me. Absolutely. And it just, you know, wh- whatever the left wants to put out there in front of us, they want to control the narrative. And it's nice to see that they're losing that control. Okay, here's another one. Okay, and actually, so I had uh, my friend over the other day, Carrie, and she showed me something on um, Twitter. So, you know Maria Le Pen, who's running in France? France. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, she's like the Trump of France, you know? So they had pictures of the, they were so funny, pictures of her rallies, like Trump's. I mean, millions, people showing up and jumping and screaming. And then they had, I forget the other person's name. Uh, it starts with an M. Whoever, the, Mark Macron, Emmanuel Macron, and it was like Hillary <laughs> at the high schools. It was like 12 people there. So on a serious note, I really think that the populism of Trump's campaign, and he wasn't my first choice, but the pro-American populism is very much being echoed in Europe in this election in France. I think it's the coolest thing. Well, people want their sovereign nation. They want their culture. They want their laws. They want their borders. They want to have their country. They I mean, want the culture yes, of, yes. of liberty. Yes. Well, well, the biggest thing is that just take a look back at Brexit. I mean, that was a great day for America. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, yep. Even though it was a great day in Britain, it was a great day that for America. A joyous day. I was doing the happy dance. <laughs> I, I, I think more so than the policy, people are just sick of typical politicians. And they're sick of being lied to. Yes. That is also true. That's also true. You know, there's this, um, in my spare time, I want to write another book. And one thing I want to talk about is how that um, this idea of uh, what Mari was saying, you know, people want their country back. The idea of loving your country and, and loving the ideas of America and being patriotic is just being just uh, being desecrated and criticized by the left as being, oh, you're kind of fascist. This is kind of a this is populism is a dangerous trend Debbie, because their ideas have failed. They can only criticize and 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 uh, ostracize their ideas fail every time. They can't get up there and say the we've got a great economic plan. Fail. That's right. We've got this economic policy. We've got this going forward. This is going to work. This is going to take care of this problem. They just want to take over, have big government, and shut everybody up. Here's what they want you to do: shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say, though, on populism, I really think it's an important conversation because if populism means I love America no matter what they do. And even if they do really terrible things and the military does terrible things, I love them. That's that's a bad. That's wrong. But populism, at least under Trump in America, to me, is like people just love the idea of American-style liberty. They want to hear someone say, yeah, Washington doesn't have to run anything. Yes, we should have secure borders. Of course, we should have a strong military. Of course, you need to be careful who's coming here. And so this uh, this populism rage, it's, so, uh, it's, it's kind of on fire in Europe, even though I guess Garrett Wilder's lost. But, but I mean, it's still on fire in, in Europe. And, and in America, we just—it's like we have to fight the battle to defend patriotism. You look yeah. like yours. No, no, I'm, I'm I'm agreeing with you, and I think what what we need to do as conservatives is populism is not a policy-based movement. Amen. So we need to make sure that it's used and, and that energy is used to to bring policy in a conservative direction, and that's what we need to do. Yeah, in some really weird ways. Back to Trump and the health care bill. 
you know, Trump made people feel like, I mean, number one, I think he won in part because people have watched the GOP in Washington seem spineless, never stand up, capitulate to the left, and they just found a guy who was A, not a politician, and B, he speaks forcefully, and like, yeah, somebody's strong, yeah, someone's going to stand. But at the end of the day, the question is, what's he going to stand for? And and I don't think a lot of people who voted for him necessarily knew, and I think even worse, made some assumptions, like on Obamacare. He got on board saying, yeah, repeal Obamacare. But when you look at his words and actions since then, I'm not sure he got what the people were saying, what we're we're thinking. But Debbie, you can't have universal health care for everybody that is cost effective and doesn't break the bank. I mean, you can do that. Avic Roy, who helped Romney and who is a great writer on the subject, wrote a book called uh, Transcending Obamacare, Patient-Centered Plan for Near-Universal Coverage and uh, Permanent Fiscal Solvency. So it can be done. Once you agree, though, do you have a comment about that? Okay. okay. Once you agree with that, though, that the government's setting up the system, then you're open no, it's to not, whatever. No, it's not government-run health care. I mean, it's free markets. He's a free markets guy. It's a free market. Okay, because I met actually, I was talking to Vic Roy. He's it's transcending something. Obamacare. There's yeah. lots of plans out there that transcend Obamacare that are market based that provide affordable health care coverage with choice. Okay. We know that. I stand by my thing on Trump, though. He said, not when he was running, but within a couple of years before that, well, how about we don't just try the Canadian system? What's wrong with the Canadian system? He's spoken positively about that. I stand by Trump may have a pro America, heart and soul, love this country, bring back free markets. He doesn't understand health care policy, which is why he was fooled into thinking Ryan Care was repeal of Obamacare, why he's made previous friendly statements about France, and why he, in his speeches, was saying, okay, this guy's going to turn music up while I'm trying to finish talking. But um, he's, <laughs> he's, I, I just think we need to educate President Trump. I think he's got a long way to go to understanding. Matt Rinaldi, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And after the break, when we come back, we're going to talk about whether Paul Ryan should be our Speaker of the House or not. Don't go away.